This evening's reading is from Matthew chapter 18, starting at verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owned him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Let me lead us in prayer as we begin. Our Father, we've just sung of the extraordinary power of your grace that can turn us from selfish pride to love you, to love your cross, and indeed to love others, to forgive others. So Father, please this evening we pray, give us such a sense of your forgiveness of us that our response would be indeed to forgive others. That's a wonderful work of your grace within us. Please be amongst us doing that. Even this evening we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now forgiveness is an extraordinary thing. It's a wonderful thing. And uh, in this little story tonight, Jesus would say very simply that, that forgiveness is at the heart of Christianity. Forgiveness is both at the heart of the message of what God has done for us, but also it's absolutely central to Christian living. You can't be a Christian unless you receive forgiveness from God. And you can't call yourself a Christian if you are unable to forgive others, says Jesus. It's an extraordinary story. We spend most of our time in the parable. An extraordinary story, really. A wonderful mixture of uh, forgiveness and, well, warning, because it starts so well. It goes a bit wrong in the middle. and ends up, verse 35, with this challenge. Gosh, this is how my father will treat you. Jailed, tortured, unless you forgive your brother from the heart. Wow. Strong Jesus. And he's not even talking to people who don't know him. He's talking to Peter and the disciples. 
and says to those who know him best, his earliest followers, I'm warning you, if you don't display forgiveness to other people, it's a sign you've never been forgiven yourself. Extraordinary, extraordinary thing for him to say. But nothing is more important than forgiveness, to receive it and to pass it on. Now, hopefully that, that isn't too shocking for us to hear. Uh, if you've been a Christian any length of time, you should know that forgiveness is right at the heart of, of the Christian message and Christian living. Even if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, there's just about enough hangover of Christianity still in the UK that you know that forgiveness is kind of a part of it. But that's what Jesus is talking about tonight, this extraordinary uh, forgiveness that he offers. And the point of this parable really is this. If you know, if you know the forgiveness of God through Jesus Christ, that gives you exceptional resources to forgive other people, no matter what they do to you. Extraordinary. Now we pick it up here. This is our last uh, sermon in uh, Matthew chapter 18. In fact, most of this term we've been in this section of Matthew's Gospel, chapters uh, 14 to 18. Uh, we come to a conclusion tonight. If you were here last time, we looked at, uh, uh, I guess, the issue of church discipline, chapter 18, verses 15 to the end. What happens if someone sins against you and they don't apologize? They refuse to acknowledge that they've done anything wrong. We thought about that last time. And I'll be left with questions, apology, my fault, they didn't quite get done before the end of the week. They'll all be, if you submitted a written question, the questions and the answers, they'll all be up on the website uh, tomorrow morning. Apologies. Um, but uh, it, it is a, Jesus moves on here with Peter's question. So if last time the issue was, what happens, someone sins against you and they refuse to acknowledge they've done wrong. Here it's a bit different. Here in chapter 18, verse 21 onwards, the situation seems to be someone sins against you. They say, sorry. And you forgive them. And they do it again. And you forgive them. You do it again. So this is the slightly annoying person who makes the same mistake over and over again. You know, he's really rude to you. Sorry. Okay, you're forgiven. Next week, really rude to you. Sorry. You forgive them. So it's a sort of parable that Jesus is telling, particularly for those you know best or spend most time with, because there's a sort of repeated sense, how often do I have to forgive? Uh, Dare I say it, it's probably the most important parable that appears in the Bible for marriage. Because there you're living with someone who is really annoying. And um, (laughs) you are, not me. Uh, The... um, you're living with someone who's really annoying and they acknowledge, I'm sorry, I've done it again. And then the next day, or indeed the next hour, they make the same mistake and annoy you. It's pretty significant. little parable for marriage as well. But generally, it's forgiveness. Uh, forgiveness. Now, before we jump in, I just want to very briefly go through uh, just some caveats because they're the sort of things that people sometimes ask. So I want to get these out of the way before we just dive and, and, and go straight through the parable. Four little caveats or qualifications on forgiveness, okay, before uh, we jump in. These things. First, forgiveness is an attitude and a transaction. Explain what I mean by that. It's an attitude and a transaction. So, someone this evening does something that annoys you enormously. Jesus says, forgive them. He never says, wait until you feel like it. But that's instinctively what we do. I can't forgive them yet. I'm just not ready to forgive them. I don't feel like it. Nonsense. Get on with it. 
So Jesus said, you forgive them. But the problem is, what if they don't accept your forgiveness? So daft example, someone borrows your black tie outfit, doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman, someone borrows your black tie outfit, the one that sits kind of in the back of the wardrobe, and you only bring it out once or twice a year. Anyway, someone borrows that, and they return it to you in a plastic bag, and it's ripped and burned and etc., you know, cigarette marks throughout it. It's it's in tatters. And uh, you, oh, oh, you've destroyed my black tie. Yes. Oh, okay. Well, I forgive you. I couldn't care less. Couldn't care less if you forgive me or not. Well, I do forgive you. They're slightly childish in their behavior. Now, you see what's happened there? Jesus says you're commanded as a Christian to have an attitude of forgiveness. I forgive you. But if they don't accept it, there's no reconciliation. By contrast, you say, I forgive you, and they say, thank you very much. I am most terribly sorry. I am really sorry. Okay. And at that point, there's a sort of transaction emotionally. You've, you've exchanged there, and you can have reconciliation. But you see, there's always two stages to forgiveness. There's the attitude, and there's the actual event. Reconciliation, or transaction sometimes. So forgiveness one. It's an attitude and a transaction to have for the baby to be full reconciliation. Two, it's a decision and a promise. A decision and a promise. That is, someone offends you, you say, okay, I forgive you. And I promise that when I get angry again, I'll keep on forgiving you. So again, people will sometimes say, well, uh, so-and-so, we're in a relationship, it broke off, I can't forgive them for how they treated me. Forgive them. I'm not ready to yet. Forgive them. Jesus commands you, forgive. Okay, I can say the words, but what about tomorrow? Tomorrow I'll still be irritated. Forgive them again. So implicit in forgiveness is the sense there's a decision, I forgive you, and a promise, and I'll forgive you tomorrow, and next week, and next month. Because how I feel towards you will waver. It'll change. But I am deciding to forgive you, and promising I'll do so going forward. So one, it's an attitude and a transaction. Two, it's a decision and a promise. Three, little qualification. Forgiveness is not the same as forgetting. Forgiveness is an active decision. Forgetfulness is a passive thing. You don't deliberately forget. Where are my keys? Anyone? Where are my keys? I've forgotten. It's not a deliberate decision. It's just passive. I've forgotten. Hello, I'm terribly sorry. I've forgotten your name. It's not a decision to forget. You just, it passively happens. And it seems to me as you get older, the more it happens that, you know, that's just one of those things. But, so forgetfulness is passive. Forgiving is active. It's a decision again. Now the distinction becomes important because sometimes you can't forget. But you keep on forgiving. If you, I mean, I don't want to touch on people's raw nerves, but let me use a very strong example. If you're abused in some way, physically, you're not going to forget that as a child, by a spouse. You just don't forget that. You can forgive the person, but you don't forget it. And for someone to say, 
well, you know, you, you just you must forgive and forget that it ever happened. That just undermines the seriousness of the offence. You can't forget it. That trivialises the sin. That is morally wrong. You don't forget the things. You forgive. But forgiveness is not the same as forgetfulness. Forgetfulness, passive thing. Forgiveness, godly decision to do something. That's the third. Forgiveness is not forgetting. Last is this. Forgiveness does not remove consequences. Forgiveness does not remove consequences. So, a, a wife who is beaten by her husband can say to him, I forgive you. But again, that doesn't remove the consequences. So rightly, she should say, I forgive you. But there are consequences to your action. I want you to go to counselling. I want you to change. Or perhaps, I forgive you. And that means I'll come and visit you in prison because of how you've behaved. But you see, forgiveness brings is not the same as removing consequences. Or the husband, the husband whose uh, wife conducts an extramarital affair. And the husband says, I, I forgive you. But it's going to take a while for me to trust you again. Now, she cannot say to him, oh, that's just unfair. If you forgive me, you trust me. No, you're, you're confusing two things there. Forgiveness does not remove consequences of your action. And if you've had a spouse who's been unfaithful, you can forgive them, but it's going to take a while for that trust to build up again. It's completely unfair to expect otherwise. Four little things. Forgiveness is an attitude and transaction. It's a decision and a promise. Forgiveness is not forgetting. Forgiveness does not remove circumstances. Uh, excuse me, consequences. Okay, let's have a look at Matthew 18. Matthew 18, verse 21. Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Now, as I said, I think it, the, the difference between what's gone before uh, in the earlier section, then um, chapter 15 to 21, someone sins against you, refuses to repent. I think implicit here is someone has committed a sin, they've repented. How long do I keep on forgiving? That's certainly how uh, Luke records it in the parallel uh, in um, Luke chapter 17. So there, Luke, uh, a similar scenario, uh, Luke records Jesus saying this, if your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in a day and seven times comes back to you and says, I repent, forgive him. Do you see there that if he repents, you get on and forgive him. So there it seems to be the sort of latter scenario, uh, the scenario where um, there's an attitude of forgiveness, but also you get to the point, okay, let's have a transaction here. Let's reconcile. Peter says, how many times should I do that? Seven times? Uh, the, the endemic teaching of the rabbis at the time was you, the, the right thing to do was to forgive three times. It's kind of a, a funny old reading of Amos, the book of Amos. But three times that the rabbis taught you should forgive. So Peter here comes up to Jesus. Okay, we're talking about forgiveness. Jesus, how many times should I forgive? Seven times? You know, I get forgiveness. I get grace. You know, the rabbis say three, seven. 
It seems to be that sort of, that probably is what's going on here. How many times? Seven? I mean, that's generous by the standards of the time. That's double plus one. That's good forgiveness. Probably a little bit disappointed with Jesus' response. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but seventy-seven times. Oh. Now, that isn't just a random number. It's not that Jesus loves the 11 times table and therefore goes for that. Although, as a child, everyone loves the 11 times table. It's, that's the easy one. No, 77, it only crops up in the Bible one other time. Some may remember Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4, nasty Lamech makes this boast to his wives. Lamech said to his wives, listen to what I say. I've killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. What's he talking about? Earlier in Genesis chapter 4, uh, Cain feared. Uh, so Lamech's great ancestor, great, 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 great ancestor, uh, father. Uh, Lamech's ancestor Cain was nervous. Lord, I'm going to get killed. And God gives Cain a word of assurance. No, you won't. Cain, if someone hurts you, I'll repay them sevenfold, okay? And in the context of Genesis chapter 4 there, it is a word of assurance for Cain. You're fine. Here, Lamech takes that and perverts it, distorts it. And you can see his sort of logic. A young man struck me, I killed him. It's sort of mafioso logic. You hurt me, I kill you, I kill your mother, I kill your mother's mother. It's that sort of, it's that sort of boast that Lamech is mating, making. No one hurts me. Anyone touches Lamech, everyone pays. So what he's really boasting of here is a escalation of cruelty. That's easy to make fun of. Um, but he wants that's very human. You hurt me, I lash out harder. That's very human in one sense. But here it's a perversion. Someone wounds me, I kill them. You know what God said? God said, you know, he'd repay sevenfold. Context, a word of assurance. I'm going to pay seventy-sevenfold. I will have vengeance. Jesus picks up on that, Matthew 18. Peter says, how many times should I forgive? Seven times? Jesus says, ooh, 77. Remember the very human way that Lamech thought? Self-protection, revenge. Anyone hurts me, I'll get them. I'm just going to turn that completely on its head, says Jesus. Lamech's revenge was disproportionate. Peter, I want you to respond to people who sin against you, injure you, wound you. I want you to respond to them with outrageous kindness, disproportionate mercy. That's how I want you to respond. Wildly disproportionate to how they've treated you. They'll be like Lamech. Self-protection, revenge. And that is what withholding forgiveness is. Someone offends you, and you think, hmm, no, I will, I'm going to protect myself by not 
coming back to you, not giving you the chance to injure me again. I'm going to protect myself, therefore withhold forgiveness and run away from you. And I'm going to retaliate by telling everyone else how awful you've been. So withholding forgiveness, self-protection, is retaliation. Jesus says, no, no, no. You forgive in a way that is ridiculous. <laughs> Completely out of proportion. Outrageous mercy and forgiveness. That's what my people will be like. Peter hears that, I guess, and thinks, oh, that's hard. To forgive someone seven times when they continually make the same mistake and offend you, seven times, that's hard. Seventy-seven times, that really Jesus is saying, it doesn't matter how, ignore the quantity, just keep forgiving. Forgive beyond anything they deserve. Well, that's, well, that's really hard. How do we do that? So Jesus tells them this story. If you understand this story, says Jesus, this parable, here is the power to forgive someone, no matter what they do against you. It's knowing how you've been forgiven. It's a wonderful little parable. Three scenes. Uh, It breaks down uh, a little bit like this. Verses 23 to 27, scene one, outrageous forgiveness, pays a vast debt. Uh, Scene 2, verses 28 to 30, a lack of forgiveness demands payment from others. And then the final scene, verse 31 to 34, a lack of forgiveness brings a frightful fate. Starts well, finishes miserably. Great. Let's work through it. Uh, Let's uh, pick it up then, verse 23. Therefore, this then is how you can forgive. Therefore, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a, ma- like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Hmm. Now, 10,000 talents. It's nice. How much is that? Okay, this is where it gets fun. A talent. In the currency of the day... A talent is, work with me on this, a talent is 6,000 denarii. A couple of chapters on, chapter 20, we're told a denarius is one day's wage. So, a talent, 6,000 denarius, we're basically talking about 20 years of a labourer's wage is one talent. A labourer, let's put him on 25,000 pounds. One talent, then, is half a million pounds. This figure, 10,000 talents, is five billion pounds. It's a big amount of money, says Jesus. Five billion pounds. That's the GDP of the Bahamas. That's a lot of money. Five billion pounds. But I don't think even that is really Jesus' point. This, uh, this, uh, this uh, um, figure in Greek, 10,000, that is the largest way of writing, that's the largest number you can write. Obviously you can put two times 10,000, but in Greek, just grammatically. It's roughly equivalent to us using the word a zillion. A servant owed a master a zillion pounds. I, a ridiculously large amount of money. A gazillion. I don't know if that word even exists. I think, I think technically, a centillion is the largest way you can, which is, and it's got a lot of noughts after it. Um, okay, a vast sum of money. But let's run with the five billion as a figure to play with. So a servant somehow owes his master five billion pounds. 
Verse 25. Since he was not able to pay, do you reckon? He's a laborer. He's a pizza delivery boy. He doesn't earn a lot of money. He's a servant. Since he was unable to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Now, not literally. You sell a man, a woman, his children, all their possessions. That's not going to add up to five billion pounds, even in the culture, in the culture of the day. A really, really, really good servant might get you half a talent. But they'd have to be exceptional. Sort of an Adonis. Like Chris Hanning. Someone, you know, something very, very, <laughs> physically very impressive and imposing. I don't know where he's gone. Okay. And red. See, this is not going to pay off the debt. The master is just showing the man the severity of his problem. Verse 25. He's not angry. He's just pointing out, you're in a predicament. There's a debt that you cannot pay. But the servant doesn't seem to get it. Verse 26. He wants to construct some sort of payment plan. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged. I'll pay back everything. No, you're on something like £25,000 a year. You're going to have to work a pretty long time to pay off £5 billion. What are you talking about? You can't be on some sort of payment plan. You, you, You just haven't got it, have you? How big your debt is against me. But verse 27 The master is kind. So the servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt, and let him go. Wow. Again, that is, well, that's outrageous mercy. That's extraordinary generosity. Five billion pounds written off. Now, I don't care who you are. That's a lot of money. It could be Roman Abramovich, who's worth something like nine billion pounds. And uh, if you read in the press that he'd, he'd somehow, some of, one of his employees had somehow embezzled five billion of Roman's money, but he'd just ridden it off and let him off, that would be newsworthy. Wow. That might change public perception of a man such as Abramovich. No one writes off five billion pounds, no matter how wealthy you are, and says, oh, doesn't matter. This is a ridiculous act of generosity and kindness and compassion. And here's the point. Peter, if you're going to forgive other people repeatedly, you need to know two things. One, you owe a debt that you can never pay. Two, outrageous mercy has paid your debt. You've got to get those, you've got to get those things clear if you're going to forgive other people, Peter. Now let's uh, take this story a little bit further, because it's the Christian gospel, of course. Let's take it and, um, uh, dare I say this, uh, embellish Jesus' story a little bit to make it even sort of systematically even more accurate. So let me, let's retell it slightly differently. So there is a king, and uh, he's riding with his entourage one day through the forest, and he meets, what does meet, he finds in the forest a screaming baby abandoned, five days old. He personally picks up the baby off the ground and uh, riding home takes the baby back and says I'm going to be generous to this child. I've no idea whose it is but I'll be generous. Bring him up in the royal household. Let him eat food with the royal children. Let him be taught 
by the royal tutors. Let him learn jousting and fencing uh, with the, uh, the royal armourers. I want him brought up as one of my children. And so this baby has the most extraordinary privileges lavished upon them. And he grows up in the king's household. He's not the sharpest tool in the box. But the king is kind. Pulls a few strings. He can do that. He's the king. Pulls a few strings and gets him a job in the royal household. A fairly responsible job um, for, for the man that he is. And for a while that goes okay. But then the baby who's now a man, well, he starts to gamble a little bit. Just small amounts. And then large amounts. And then he's got no money left. So, well, he's in charge of some of the king's books. So he starts taking a little money out. Rewriting the books. There's a little bit of embezzlement. But he keeps losing. So he has to take more to cover the debts. And he takes more to cover the debts. And he takes more to gamble to try and recover the money he's lost. And eventually he finds himself owing, having taken five billion pounds of the king's money. And so one night he's there in his office in the king's palace, looking at these books, thinking there is no way out of this mess. So he takes a bottle of sleeping pills, flips the lid, gets a glass of water and pulls the whole lot down his gullet and takes them all. And his head hits the desk. At that moment, the king happens to walk past. Thinks, what's going on here? Goes in, sees the open bottle of tablets, realizes what's gone on. The servant is still, his, his adopted son is still a little bit groggy. Slaps him, slaps him, slaps him round the face, drags him to the loo, sticks fingers down him, makes the guy throw up. And then takes him back to his bed, where he slowly recovers. This young man, as he is now, the next day, very sheepishly goes into the office, sees the books open in front of his desk, and the king's just written across it, this debt is written off, I've paid it. This is just the Christian gospel. God has lavished upon us wonderful blessings, wonderful blessings of life in this world. He's given us everything we've got. Where you were born, the family you were born into, the opportunities you've had, the brains you've got, the money you've got. He's given everything. Everything we have is because of the generosity of God, and yet we abuse it. We'll just take, take, take from him. We'll do things we shouldn't do. And so that we're morally, the Bible is clear, there is a debt that we cannot owe. Sorry, there's a debt that we cannot pay. Oh, we can try and be good from this day uh, until the day we die. We can try and live really, really good lives. No chance of paying off the debt that we owe. But God is a God who wipes it away and says, I will pay for you. I'll absorb that debt. I'll take it in my son, Jesus Christ, upon the cross. I will die in that man, Jesus Christ, so that you might live. He pays our debt. That's the Christian gospel. It's just a picture of that here. It's outrageous forgiveness. It pays a vast debt. There's the first scene. The other two are briefer. Uh, let's pick up in scene two. So scene one, outrageous forgiveness pays a vast debt. Scene two, verse 28. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him, began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me. I'll pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. 
Now, very striking this. A lack of forgiveness demands payment from others. Now, uh, first, uh, you see the language here that this man uses, uh, the debtor owes here. It's precisely the same as the servant. Did you see that? So verse 26, when the servant was in trouble, verse 26, he fell on his knees. Be patient with me. He begged, I'll pay back everything. Verse 29, this servant falls to his knees. Be patient, he begged him, I'll pay you back. Precisely the same language. And yet this man listens and doesn't hear. This doesn't make the connection that this guy is in precisely the same scenario he was in with the king. Very striking. Let's unpack it a little bit. Um, uh, uh, what, what's the, uh, the sum of money here? A hundred denarii. Remember from uh, a denarius, that's about a day's wage. So a hundred denarii, it's a third of a year's salary. Again, let's call it 8K, 8,000 pounds. Now, I don't know about you, I'm really grateful that Jesus went for a significant sum of money. It's not, you know, the servant, you know, the king, five billion, a man owned him five pounds. It's neither here nor there. 8,000 pounds, well, that's, that's a significant sum of money. You can do quite a lot with 8,000 pounds. You can buy some sort of, you know, you can buy a car, you can do all sorts of things with £8,000. If someone takes £8,000 from you and refuses to give it back, well, that hurts. That's annoying. You'd want to do something about that. I think the point of this is Jesus is saying, look, forgiveness is not easy. I'm not saying to you, someone offends you, sins against you, you just say, oh, well, it doesn't really matter. You say, no, it'll cost for anyone to, to write one, well, unless you're a billionaire. But for most people to write off £8,000, well, that's going to hurt a lot. Oh, it's a significant sum of money. But here's the question. I guess here's the question thrown up by the, the story little here. How can the man who has been let off £5 billion choke someone for 8000 How can... What's, there's just a disconnect there. And Jesus' diagnosis is, he never really was forgiven. He never really knew what it was to be forgiven. So third little scene, verses 31 to 34, a lack of forgiveness, it brings a frightful fate. Verse 31. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master, the king, everything that had happened. The master called the servant in, you wicked servant. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged to me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? That's the key diagnosis, verse 33. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your servant just as I had on you? You have behaved as if you have no idea what mercy is. You don't really get forgiveness at all. There are a number of mistakes here. Let me um, try and break it down, uh, I guess, into, into some statements here. So here's the mistakes it seems to me he's made. One, he'd forgotten who is king. He'd forgotten who is king. So it's quite easy. If, if you forget that there's a king who is God and you make yourself king in your own story and someone makes a mistake against you, someone owes you £8,000, you'll be incredibly irritated because you're the king, it's your story and your world and they've offended against you. But if you remember that you're only a player, God is the king. That humbles you a bit. 
He's the king. You live in his world by his rules. And I think the man here had forgotten who's king. Secondly, here's the most significant thing. You've focused on the wrong debt. That's what the guy got wrong here. He'd focused on the wrong debt. And for you and for me, if someone offends us and we're struggling to forgive, which debt are we focusing on? The massive one that we owe God but he's forgiven or the relatively small one that someone owes us. And of course, instinctively, the easy thing to do is we just focus on the latter. Someone has offended me. And we daydream and we meditate and we think about and we fume about the small one. And we don't think about the massive one that we owe. Which debt do you dwell about? Think on. If you focus upon your debt, you're humbled. If you focus upon the debt that people owe you, you just become self-righteous, proud, irritated with them. So he'd forgotten who was king. He'd focused on the wrong debt. Third, and I guess this is the, the point of the parable, you've never understood the size of your debt and the extravagance of God's mercy if you can't forgive other people. You and I owe trillions Trillions morally. And occasionally someone will owe us a thousand pounds or two. When you know the extent to which you've been forgiven, it does change you. It changes your attitude towards the debts of others. Now, let me break it just by final application in this sort of way. I think there's an ultimate sense of Jesus' words and there's a, fire, there's a milder sense. The ultimate sense of Jesus' words comes in 34 and 35. Conclusion of the story. In anger, his master turned the servant over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father would treat you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. So verse 34, there's a picture of eternity. There's an ultimate sense to Jesus' words. If you cannot forgive other people, it's a sign that you have never understood the forgiveness that is offered by Jesus Christ. So earlier in Matthew's Gospel, famously, the Beatitudes, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And here he says, Unblessed will be the unmerciful, for they will be shown anger. Just to be clear, forgiveness of others is not a precondition of being forgiven by God. But it is a post-condition. If you genuinely are a believer and have been forgiven your sins by God, you will forgive other people. If you don't, you've never understood God's forgiveness. There's an ultimate sense to that. You'll be shut out from him forever. But, and here's the more common thing, I guess. There's a milder sense in which this is true for many Christians. If you're a Christian and struggling to forgive, again, the issue is you just got the debts wrong. <laughs> you're focusing upon the small debt someone owes you. You've forgotten the large debt someone that, um, uh, that you owe to God. You just got that wrong. When you dwell upon your own sin before the Lord, it enables you to, I don't know how to put it really, to be indulgent with the sin of others, their crimes against you, to keep on forgiving. Now, very strikingly, someone uh, a few months ago said to me, I need to let you know something. Oh, what's that? 
I need to let you know I've, I've finally forgiven you for what you said to me a year ago. Oh golly. Because what runs through your head? What did I say? It was a year ago. But of course, what an extraordinary thing to say. There's, there's a bloke who's been in church for years. I've, I've just forgiven you for what you said a year ago. Now, I'm, I don't doubt that that bloke is a Christian. But boy, he's got things out of kilter. I don't doubt I said something which annoyed him. I probably overstated something. I was perhaps a little harsh on him in some occasion. I, I, I can do that, of course. I'm, I'm fallible, sinful. I make mistakes. Of course that's true. But I've only just forgiven you for something you've done a year ago? Oh, you, you've obsessed with my crime against you. You've completely forgotten the debt that you owe to the living God. I might owe you 8K. You owe billions. And you focused on the wrong debt. It's possible to do. Key to this, says Jesus, if you're going to forgive, how can you forgive 77 times? How can you do such a thing? The answer is very simple, says Jesus. You need to know there's a debt that you cannot pay. But it's been paid by outrageous generosity towards you. Uh, let me finish with this. I've read this story once before. It's a story from uh, Rwanda. Um, one of our mission partners, uh, uh, Lourdes and Nancy Lambrecht, are out in Rwanda. This is a, a story they passed on from 94. So in 1994, of course, was the, uh, the genocide in Rwanda where uh, Hutus uh, attempted to completely wipe out the Tutsis. 800,000 Hutus died uh, in the massacre of uh, 1994 where the world um, uh, sadly stood by and did nothing. Uh, the story they passed on is of, of Adele. Her husband was a minister, or a pastor. And uh, one day, a number of soldiers burst into the small rural village where Adele and her husband lived. They burst into church on a Sunday. Where is the pastor? Adele's husband stood up. They took to him with machete. They flayed him alive and took his skin off him while he was still living. And then eventually they slit his throat. In the melee that followed, Adele herself had a, a grave... Um, was, her face is utterly disfigured now by knife cuts to her face, and 45 others were killed in the melee and she was left for dead. Three days later, the soldiers eventually left the village in the area so the villagers could go and bury the dead. As they pulled out the 45, they found Adele. She'd been lying amongst the dead bodies for three days. And they took her to a medical facility and eventually she recovered health. Very soon afterwards, she said, I made a choice. I decided to forgive. It is very hard to do. And I have to keep on doing it. But I realized either I became a very bitter person or I trusted that the Lord had forgiven me, focused on my debt against him and was able to forgive others. It took three years, really. Three years after the event, uh, Adele started working in a, a local prison. She decided she'd go into the local prison and uh, help out some of the uh, Hutu soldiers, not necessarily the ones who'd been involved, but just Hutu soldiers generally. She became known as the mother of the prison. She was there on a regular basis. She brought in food, brought in clothing. She ministered lovingly to the Christians. Let me pick up her own story. Adele writes, One day a young man named Lewis fell at my feet and he was weeping and kissing my feet. And as I looked down at his face, I saw that he was the young man who rushed in with a machete and killed my husband. He was the young man who put this scar on my head. He looked up at me and said, Adele, will you forgive me? 
I pulled him up, I embraced him and said, in the name of Jesus Christ who has forgiven me, I'll forgive you. That's outrageous mercy. That's outrageous forgiveness. Wonderfully, Louis went to Bible studies that Adele ran in the prison. He became a Christian. Uh, his behavior changed dramatically. So a further three years on, so we're up to year 2000, a further three years on, he was released from prison. Homeless, didn't know what to do. And so uh, Adele went and found him again and said, Lewis, I know you have nowhere to live. Come and live in my house. I want to adopt you as my son. That's outrageous mercy. That's outrageous forgiveness. In the name of Jesus Christ, who's forgiven me, I forgive you. It's the only way you can forgive repeatedly. Forgive large debts. In the name of Jesus Christ, who's forgiven me, I forgive you. Let's pray together. Our Father, forgiving others is not an easy thing to do. We are proud. And we hate it when we're offended. We hate it when we're wronged. And we seek retribution. And we seek payback. And so the call to repeat people repeatedly, day after day, when uh, they come back and express their sorrow, no matter how half-heartedly we may think their sorrow uh, is, to, to repeatedly forgive people, that's a very hard thing to do. And Father, we acknowledge that we can only do that if we know that we've been forgiven. So Father, drive deep out, deep, deep down into us the debt that we owe you, a debt that we can never pay, so we understand the outrageous nature of your mercy towards us. And would we be able to echo that faintly towards those who sin against us? Father, would we be able to forgive others in Jesus' name? Amen. As ever, this whole issue raises lots of questions. Uh, forgiveness, complicated area, really. But um, in one sense, simple, but complicated. If you have a question, please email in. Don't just stew on it, wonder. Email in, and again, we'll post them up online.